Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 291. Yes, I realize I put the wrong picture in your show notes. My name is Caleb Hagen. With me, two of my teachers are Rob Van Hoff and my father, Tim Hagen. How's it going, gentlemen? Going well. Thank you. All right. Well, it's a special day. We have my father on. That's always uh, always a good time. Uh, basically, what happens is we decide, hey, we don't know what to talk about, <laughs> and uh, so let's bring somebody or we're else. We're in on. over our head. We're in <laughs> yeah, over our head. Yeah, I think that's. I think that. Yeah, the tra- the chat room says tri- triple threat. That's, bringing, it, uh, bringing the big guns. Uh, yes, that's that's when you know. So uh, not only that, but actually, there is something that's happened this last week. If you don't know this already. Uh, this show, Messiah Matters, is brought to you by our executive producers and also our supporters, but also it's produced mainly by Torah Resource. Torah Resource is a wonderful place to get all sorts of free stuff uh, on the Bible and study guides and all sorts of stuff. So you can go to our new website, which went up last Thursday night. Um, it was probably one of the smoothest transitions that I think we could have had. There were a couple of hiccups, but they were nothing major. And so uh, you can go to Torah Resource. It's uh, it's all new and improved. I think it's a lot easier to uh, to navigate through, which is which is nice. Um, but also, if you support this show for as little as a latte a month, you can support this show five dollars a month, and then you can have access to Messiah Matters More. We're still building Messiah Matters More, but uh, we're going to put something up later today from the three of us. In Messiah Matters More. So if you were a supporter on our old website, you're going to have to go back to the new site and reset up your support for this show. I know it's annoying, but I think it's worth it. Uh, the search alone on the new site actually works as opposed to the old site. So that's really nice. Also, guess what else works? Your password reset, which never worked on our old site. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, shout out to Michael for all the all the work he did on the on the new site that looks uh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. Okay. Before we get started, <clears throat> pardon me. Before we get started, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so. Give us a call on our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You won't talk to us. You get an answering machine. You can tell us how much you like us, how much you hate us. Tell us that we're wrong. Tell us that we're right. Tell us whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. It's just an answering machine. Or you can send us an email, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. Okay. Uh, so I know that, uh, and also we should plug my dad's study um, that's ongoing. If you're not part of it, you don't have to join it live. You don't don't sign up for uh, my dad's online Bible study if you're not going to join live. If you want to, you can just go to torresource.com. Hover over resources, go down to the second drop-down tab, which is weekly Bible study. Click on that, and then if you just keep scrolling down, you'll see all the audio and the uh, and the PDFs to my father's ongoing weekly Bible study. Right now, he is in the book of James, which is very exciting. What what verse are you in in James? We'll be in uh, uh, twenty-three, first uh, chapter, one twenty-three and following. So you haven't missed much. If you want to, you can uh, go and, and catch up on that page. And you can also, uh, if you want to, you can join live and, and have some interaction with the chat room that he has on his. Uh, but you have to sign up to, to join live. It's on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, which is actually quite late for the East Coast. But you know what? you gotta you got to give to receive. <laughs> um, okay. And I, I think that since we have two teachers from Tor Resource Institute... Uh, you can go and sign up for classes. Why don't you both tell us quickly what uh, what are some of the classes that you're offering in the spring quarter at Tor Resource Institute that kicks off on the seventh of April? So you got a month to sign up. Anyone? You want to start, Rob? Sure, sure. I've got uh, two language classes. We've got third quarter of first year Greek, which is really awesome. So in one year, we cover. Dr. Mounts's uh, Basics of Biblical Greek, published by Zonerman. And so the goal is to finish that book, which uh, provides students with kind of the, the basic toolkit uh, of uh, reading Koine Greek. So that would include the apostolic writings and uh, the Septuagint. So we're, the students are going to come in uh, for that last quarter. We're continuing Biblical Aramaic. Uh, and we have uh, another class that is, um, uh, oh my, what's the title? Well, you got con- um, Contemporary Judaisms. Contemporary Judaisms. Thank you, Caleb. That's the, that was, the other one I'm thinking of is the... Um, critical Issues that we're doing. Yes, together. thank you, Tim. Critical Issues. Tim and I are, are co-teaching Critical Issues. And then it, uh, it's, uh, it's a mouthful. It's this. It's the extra canonical yeah. reading readings temple. in second temple non-canonical literature yes thank you yeah. it's a, it's a mouthful the idea is looking into uh, through a, with a systematic approach uh, going through the uh, jewish writings from the second temple era that are not part of the canon and uh, so that doesn't include rabbinic literature because rabbinic right. literature uh, starts later and of course we we're actually finishing our rabbinic literature class this quarter so a lot coming into the the spring um, language. Usually the you know unless you've had some language, it, you know wouldn't advise you to jump in third quarter Greek or into the Aramaic class unless you've uh, already done it in the past and want to 
participate for the sake of some review, but it wouldn't be recommended for a, a, a novice. Uh, what, what, about you, what about you, Dad? What do you got? Well, I too am uh, finishing off the uh, beginning uh, Hebrew, the first year of Hebrew, so we'll have the third quarter. And we do um, either require the students to take the first and second quarters in order to join the third quarter or to show a proficiency in the in the language. I think you would probably do the same thing in the Greek there. In the critical issues class, you know, one of the things that we see is that oftentimes people begin uh, a small group somewhere and then that uh, grows into a uh, community and they're kind of um, not sure how to do this. And so what we put together in the critical issues for Torah communities is to recognize that sometimes the doctrinal issues that you begin with are so very important by way of foundation. And so Rob and I teach that uh, together and we talk about what we consider to be foundational issues that a Torah community or a Messianic community, however you want to say it, would establish as they begin. Then I'm doing theology proper, which is uh, the doctrine of God. And we, of course, will uh, discuss and uh, not only the history, but also the biblical basis for a multiplicity, a trinity. Um, and I know that that is an issue for some people, but we find it in the Bible and we want to make sure that we're well founded in that. We're also I'm also teaching doctrine of salvation, and um, that's in the bigger word is usually referred to as soteriology. And so we will go through the essential aspects of that and also look at the history of some of the controversies that went on in the third, fourth, fifth centuries over deity of Yeshua and so forth and so on as it relates to salvation. And um, yeah, that's that's what I'm teaching. Yeah. Okay. So full loads there for everyone. Um, if you want to sign up for one of those classes, you can go to TorahResource.com. And then there's actually multiple places that you can find it, but you can just hover over Institute and you will be able to find uh, the spring quarter classes and click on that tab and you'll be able to sign up for any of the classes that you want. You can also see a list of all of the classes that we will be offering by not only these two gentlemen, but also from other teachers as well. Right, so we got Ariel Berkowitz, uh, Andre uh, mm -hmm. Green. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Let's jump right in. Um, like I said before, I'll give this one more time. If you uh, want to send us an email, you can do so. Seehagatorresource.com. And you can also call a comment line, 253-465-3205. And I should say one last thing. If you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go ahead and subscribe. Okay, Sylvia writes in. She says, most Christians say that Isaiah 14 is talking about the devil, Lucifer. Is that true? Was he a created? Was he created as an evil being, or did he choose to be evil? And we'll pass this off to our guest host today, my father. Go ahead. Well, the first thing I would have to say is that uh, in typical systematic theologies, uh, this area is referred to as Satanology or demonology. Demonology usually encompasses the whole. Uh, circle of how did evil spirits come about and uh, the Isaiah uh, 14 passage is oftentimes referred to as at least modeled after what would have happened with uh, so-called Lucifer or Satan Satan just means the the one who leads astray 
or the 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 one who um adversary, like adversary yeah and an adversary right an adversary who leads you uh in the wrong direction i i take this as a foundational truth that in the creation narrative of the first chapters of genesis it appears as though there and i would i would believe that it's very strongly stated that god created the entire universe in those six days and then when the uh, seventh day comes, it says that he ceased. I know it says rested in some uh, translations, but he ceased from creating. Now, does that mean he couldn't create something afterwards? Well, of course not. God is able to do all of his holy will without any restraints. But the point is, is that the, the world created is finished. And that, I, th I believe, would include those angelic beings those spirit beings that existed and we know of course that in the garden um satan comes to deceive or to lead astray or to be an adversary to uh, adam and kava as they were there in the garden and so was he a created being absolutely did god create anything evil the answer is no everything that he created he created that was good and we would even say uh, along that lines that that Adam and Eve or Adam and Chava were created without a sinful nature. But they obviously were created with the ability to disobey God. And that's what Paul says, that sin entered the world through one man and death through that one man, through sin. And so all that we can say, and there's the Bible is not, not uh, explicit on this, but all that we can say is that God created spirit beings, angelic beings, if you'd like, um, to be his messengers, to be his helpers, and so forth and so on. But he also created them with the ability, apparently, from what we can surmise, with the ability to rebel against him. And that's clearly what happened with Satan, and so, or Satan, um, the evil one and with those demonic um, beings that followed him. And so um, did he say that he wanted to be equal with God, as we read in the, uh, in the Isaiah passage? We don't know, but it seems as though Isaiah uh, 14 is talking about an earthly king according to language that relates to something much more powerful than an earthly king. At least that's one, one perspective. So I would simply say to the answer, was he created as an evil being? The answer is no. God created everything and said it was good. He did. God is not the creator of evil. Now I know in Isaiah it also talks about that he creates uh, good and he creates calamity. Well, the Hebrew word ra, which is uh, could be translated evil, it also means that which is calamity. In other words, in the world, is God in control of all things? Yes. So then do hurricanes and so forth happen? Yes. But why? Because it's a fallen world. Okay, hang God... on just a second. I have a question about that then. So it's uh, when Yeshua is being tempted, right? Yeah. Satan says to him, he says, I could give you all this. Mm -hmm. Because Which all this, because I am, and, and he's even called Lord of this world. <clears throat> so how is Satan Lord of this world? How is Satan, how has Satan in, uh, been given the authority of or the power to give something away to Yeshua. 
first of all, that what he was telling Yeshua was a lie. He couldn't give anything unless God allowed it. Does God allow uh, Satan and evil spirits to exist in this world? Yes. Why? Because in this world, this world now is fallen. In other words, sin entered into this world through Adam and death through sin. God is not the author of sin, and he is not the author of death. So we cannot, uh, again, we come to the end of ourselves in this in terms of uh, rationally trying to lay it all out uh, step by step. But God in, allowed sin to enter this world and death through sin. And so uh, what when... Uh, when Yeshua came as an in, the incarnate man that he is, did he, and this is, I, I know this is a very difficult thing, but did he set aside for the time that he was here some of his attributes of power and so forth? The answer Abs is yes. Absolutely. He had to, right? Because he, he wasn't well, omniscient within his well, body. Too, and, right? and he got tired, you know, yeah. and he felt pain and he died. So he was tempted or tested in every point like as we are but without sin and i would simply say that that word should be translated tested not tempted he was not tempted to sin because he could not sin but he was tested with the uh the fact that he set aside some of the use of his infinite attributes and became humble as a man uh even to the point of death and so was there this uh was there this fight, this uh, struggle between himself and Satan? The answer is yes. But he did not, I mean, Satan is lying. I, he couldn't give Yeshua anything if God didn't give him the, uh, the freedom to do it. So um, it, was it a true testing? Yes. Was it a temptation to sin? No. Yeshua is not tempted to sin. He cannot sin because he is holy and without sin. So there's, and you know, the thing that always um, comes to my mind and is some way people would call it maybe an escape or something, but I don't call it that at all. If faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and I take seen there to mean under, fully understood, we come, when we ask these questions, we come to the point where we say, you know what, there's not, I don't have enough uh uh, information to give a, an answer that I think is rational. <laughs> well, guess why? Because in most of the time, God has not given us all of the information. He's given us the information that is necessary for us to believe him and to, by faith, say it is true. So bottom line, I think the scriptures would clearly indicate, if we take them all together, that the evil one, Lucifer or Satan, however you, whatever name, the deceiver, uh, was not created evil, but he became evil by his willingness and freedom, as it were, to rebel against God. And last thing I'll say on this without taking too much time, what is the greatest display uh, and proof of God's infinite love? It is sending his son. It is the giving of his son to us, no greater expression of love has ever come into this world ex uh, more than the love that God showed in his son, Yeshua. Yeshua would not have, would have had no need to come if there had not been sin in this world. And so there's a sense in which God is not the author of sin. 
But in allowing sin to enter this world, he set forth the platform by which he could prove himself to be who he is, and that is God is love. Isn't that what the scriptures say? Mm -hmm. God is love. That means he's infinitely God of love, and he could show that by sending his son. In In the overall scope of everything, the coming of Yeshua, necessary because of the sin in this world, is God's way of revealing the infinite value of his love. Rob? Uh, Yeah, I agree with everything Tim just said. I I wanted to point out just two things. Back to, it's the passage, Tim, is Isaiah 45, 7. Oh, I'm sorry. What, that's fine? Oh, no, you you just said Isaiah, I think. It it says, O say shalom uvore ra. So the, the parallelism there is shalom, and so it wouldn't make sense to translate Ra as evil, although I think that we see that translated that way. I think calamity is the opposite of shalom. In other words, um, if it was Tov and Ra, then we would... Hang on just a sec. We should explain this real quick because I don't think that this has been hashed out for our listeners because we were talking about this a little bit before we came on to the, onto the air. The idea that God doesn't create evil and Rob's, uh, Rob's re- uh, referencing a verse, which is, read it for us real quick. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 7. Okay, go ahead. It's describing Adonai. It says, Yotzer or uvore choshek. So he forms light and creates darkness, right? So... And then it, but it says, O say shalom. O say shalom, Bim Roma. He makes shalom, uvore ra. And so the question is, and he creates evil? Well, these are opposites. These are word pairs of opposites. The opposite of shalom is, makes more sense to translate that as calamity than evil. Interesting that's that the like. ESV that's... does actually um, translate it calamity. Oh, really? Oh, good, good. Yeah, I think that's a good... Uh, and, and this is just like many words in Scripture have a semantic range and context, uh, as Tim uh, likes to repeat, and I, I think it's a great saying. Words don't have meaning. Meaning has words. And we'll find many words in the Bible that will, uh, depending on the context will have a, a different meaning. And so that's, that's an important uh, aspect. The other is, back to Tim's bigger, very important point of what does it mean to be sober-minded? It means, and to not imagine us ourselves to have, to be something we're not, or to have knowledge that we don't in fact have. Uh, I remind, in one of the Psalms, David says, you know, the things that are too wonderful for me, right? I think that's maybe Psalm 139. And uh, what, what, how does that apply? I think that applies to a situation where the scriptures are silent. We need to learn to accept that silence and, and remain focused on our worship of the Lord and our uh, uh, efforts to learn and to apply that which has been clearly revealed. There's clearly in Deuteronomy 29, it says there are secret things that belong to the Lord, and we have to accept that. In the same way that the the priests who are ministering in the the tabernacle, they knew that there was an ark back there, and they knew that they knew a little bit about it, but they couldn't go in there. They couldn't see it. 
but it was that was very present for them and so in the same way learning to accept and this gets into the canon of scripture because this this idea and the excitement of revealed knowledge independent of the scripture is not just appealing today of people who want to add to the bible but it was appealing in the second temple era where you have the emergence of book of jubilees and the enoch literature and what is it it's all presented as knowledge revealed from heaven from ancient ancient times with all sorts of names of angels and where where evil came from trying to explain things that in the canon of scripture are not revealed and what does it do it pulls people's hearts and minds away from the torah of moses into this idea of oh well enoch went to heaven and got all this calendrical information and all this stuff about the angels and the fallen angels and then jubilees takes that and what you end up having then is a new body of quote pseudo scripture that people get in that's what they fill their hearts and minds with and it actually pulls them away from their clarity of meditation on the on the revealed tanakh and so this today people wanting to add oh we need to add enoch or jubilees back to the bible these people are are lost in the same dust storm you know they're not seeing clearly they're not seeing the the conflicts uh of trying to insert into the canon things that are just going to lead hearts astray so uh just to point out that it's totally okay to ask questions about the origins of of where did satan come from you know how does how did evil come into the world uh, all that but we have to accept that we that there's going to be a line and tim pointed out to this where we're not going to understand and we have to be be okay with that Right, and that that reference in Isaiah is forty five seven. Isaiah forty five seven is the one you were we were talking about. It, the other thing that I would um, uh, just conclude with is how often do you find in the Bible, either in the Apostolic Scriptures or in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the same word repeated three times in a row without anything between it. Now there's a there's a sense in which I, I give you a little puzzle you can work on, if, especially if you have a, a Bible software. But it, it only happens a couple of times, and one of them is holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty, mm-hmm. who was, who is, and who is to come in Revelation 4.8, but we find it, of course, in the Tanakh as well. So w- whenever you have something repeated three times in a row, what does that mean? It means completely, fully. That means if God is completely and infinitely holy, he cannot have any evil. And if he had created evil, that would be something uh, that comes from him, which is an impossibility. So the whole idea that God could create evil is part of the enemy's lie. And uh, the scriptures reject that out of hand. Joseph asked a question in the chat room. He says, calamity would suggest natural disasters under direction of the Lord, correct? Yes, uh, under the direction of the Lord. Yes, I mean, does it, it could does, mean a, a Babylonian invasion of the land? I think too, or something. Yeah, but is it is God able to use even the evil of men for His purposes? Yeah. Yes, you, you meant it for evil. The Lord meant it for good. Right. So th- that the fact that we live in the fallen world, He can use 
those calamities, whatever they may be, for his purposes and for his his final will. Now, I know what the detractors are going to say. They say, oh, you're just making excuses for God. No, we're not. We're are, once again, we're coming back to saying, what do the scriptures teach? And we hold to what the scriptures teach as the inspired word of God, even if we can't fully explain every part of it. Right. Okay, let's move on. Sylvia asks another question. She says, what will happen when we see the Lord face to face? Will we be judged for our sins, that is, believers? We uh, Will we... We will give an account for every word, motive, and action. I'm thinking about the Bema seat of Christ. I'm not clear on what will happen. So basically, I think to restate the question maybe a little bit differently, when we when when the resurrection happens and judgment happens, will believers have to account for their sins? Who's first? <laughs> you. You are. Go. <laughs> Special guest. Okay. Well, um... First, um, when it says a judgment seat, this this so-called bima, or the judgment seat of Messiah, and we we find this in um, in Corinthians. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking what what is the Corinthians passage? It's second. Uh, well, there's one that's Second Corinthians five nine. Yeah, that's the one. I'm and it saying. says, whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that right. each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or. And now here's this. Uh, here's the here's the issue. Yeah, because the Greek word phalaos, it doesn't necessarily mean evil. If you look at the semantic range or the circle of meanings in that this word has, it can mean something which is worthless, or it can mean something that doesn't have uh, value. That doesn't necessarily mean it's sinful. My suggestion is that what what is this judgment seat, and what will happen? Well, first of all, the scriptures are quite clear that those who are in the Messiah Yeshua, those who are truly born from above, and given new life and have the indwelling spirit of God as the scriptures teach then God has wiped the slate clean in terms of our sins we no longer it's not before him in fact he says in you know in the in the new covenant what does it say they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord no, wait, before I finish, what does it mean to know the Lord? It doesn't mean to know about him. To know the Lord, the word know, when it's used in the, uh, particularly in the uh, Tanakh, in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, when you know somebody, it means you have a covenant relationship with them. Because Adam knew Chava, Adam knew Eve, and then what happened? She conceived and bore a son. That's the covenant of marriage. When it says, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. In other words, come into true eternal covenant relationship with him. Then it goes on to say, and this is Jeremiah 31, 34 and following, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It doesn't mean that God can forget anything. Remember here doesn't mean to forget because God doesn't forget anything. It means I will no longer consider it, hold it against them or bring it up. 
In other words, it's gone. What you know, In another place, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's in Psalm 103.12. So how far is the east from the west? Well, that's just a good Semitic idiom to mean, you know, infinite. As far as, in an infinite way, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So my point is simply this. When... Uh, when we stand before him, he's not going to bring up the sins on one chart and the good deeds on the other. No. What does it mean? He's going to reward us for our work for him. Now, how will he reward us? Well, the Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it gives the picture of crowns, and those crowns will inevitably be given back to him. But, you know, that I think that's just a metaphor, meaning... Um, when you hear from the Almighty that he was pleased with your deeds, that's going to be a crown. But what happens if he only has two or three things that he lists? Then you're going to think, oh, what uh, what did I do with the rest of my life? That's going to be the point where then he's going to wipe away any tears and say, enter into your rest, your mind forever and all is forgiven. He's not going to bring up our sins. But but if we have been, it, it's, it's not a sin to have been, how can I say it, <laughs> less than fully, fully, fully energized in every thought, in every word, in every deed to give him glory. In other words, is there a neutral? It's, it's not that I'm committing something which is clearly sinful, but it means I, I did not give all that I could have given at this point in time or whatever. And we will be reminded of the times when we were, when we should have done something and didn't. And I think, you know, I know there's a fine line there between whether it's sinful or whether it's just uh, a, a being uh, weak in our human, our human nature. But at any rate, I think that's how we should understand it, that um, we we will give account to ourselves. And I know Rob has, has some good thoughts on this too, but the, the, the point is, is that we will remember that we were born from above by him and that we are grateful that we had the privilege, the strength, and the opportunity to serve him in thought, in word, in deed. And, and we... the more that... And, and that we were saved by him, right? I mean, the fact is, is that yeah. we're sinners, and we will be reminded that we are sinners, and the and the thing that paid the price for that sin is, in fact, Christ. Right. And so when we, you know, tears aren't always tears of sorrow. Sometimes tears are tears of joy. You know, you're welled up with this, with this uh, infinite love that God has given to us in his son, Yeshua. And then you may, we may think, oh, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I, you know, why wasn't I more consistent? Why was I so easily drawn uh, to being inactive in this when I should have opened my mouth and said something? I mean, some of those thoughts might go through us. And he's going to say, no, that's all been done away with. Right. I, there's not a picture of, of believers with the Lord who are like, got the, you the know, whip in their whoosh, backs. Whoosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the Catholic uh, secret societies or whatever. There's another passage I'd like to contribute to is, is a parallel also from Paul, Romans 14. And in verse seven, I'll just read about four or five verses here. He says, for none of us lives to himself, 
none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Uh, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. Now, this is also from that, from the passage of Isaiah 45 that we cited earlier, but just a different verse, um, which Paul cites also in Philippians, referring to uh, knees, uh, knees bending and tongues confessing to Yeshua. Um, so then each of us, Romans 14, 12, finally here, then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Tim, was you were just talking about this. Um, we, we will remember, this back, Caleb just made this point too, we, we must for eternity remember that we were a redeemed people, that yeah. the grace of Yeshua will always retain his special privilege and his special um, mission, his special uh, uh, victory is unique to him for eternity. Um, the price he paid will always be known. And if the price he paid will always be known, therefore the, uh, the purchased possession, right? That which was redeemed will always, always be known, will always be known. And therefore the fact of our redemption, what we were redeemed from must be remembered in some regard, not, not in self-condemnation, because, because we couldn't have saved ourselves, right? I mean, that's the that's back to the glory of Yeshua and His grace being um, uh, forever emphasized and and um, I, celebrated. I always had that picture in my mind that the, the of the courtroom, right? The, the accuser comes and says, "Look at what he did. He did this. He did this. He did this. He was this. He was this. He was this." And Yeshua stands up and says, "No, no, no! I paid for all that." In other words, it's still there, and this is how we know that what we're redeemed from, that we're accused of all these things, but that Yeshua says, paid for, but not so with those who are not redeemed. Right. Well, and how many times in the Torah does it say, remember, it gets right to the heart of the matter for Israel, remember that you, you yourselves were slaves, you yourselves were strangers, and and. And the Lord, in His wisdom, leverages the weight of the weightiest commandments of love in the Torah on the personal recognition of of the redeemed being the recipients of this this uh, imperative. Right. That God's not asking them to do something that, or asking us to do something that we can't identify with. Right. And I think the other thing I'd like to emphasize is that in this, whatever this is in terms of the judgment seat, the Bema, this remembering of who we were, what God did for us in redemption, and our service for him in life will be in our memory. But I believe that God's going to erase that memory eventually. We well, read I wonder about that because yeah, if Revelation Yeshua retains his... And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, 
nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So those things which, which we wish we had have done and didn't do, or those things that we say, oh, I, I wish I had been better at this or given myself more to this, there's going to come a time, and I think it will be almost immediately, that we will that that will be gone we will never have that memory again and we will move forward in the glory of god and in the greatness of his power and live eternity with him in that uh reality go ahead rob what were you going to say there, well there is a space where yeshua that we want to consider yeshua does seem to retain the scars oh yes no doubt right so but, so there but is those are not but those are not going to be scars of sorrow those are going to be oh, not all oh, right, right. Those, those would be scars of worship and and scars of uh, uh, jubilation because it is by his wounds that we are healed right yeah. well, it's a great words, great question boy you know um now the, the the people who have to fear on the becoming before the judgment seat is uh are those who are going to see that yeshua is who he said he is yes that they uh, they had hatred in their heart and they still are, they're going to be bending, I think, bending the knee against their hard heart. Right. Okay. Let's move on. We got one last question. Oh, go ahead. Could I, yeah, could I just make one comment? I can't let it go without this. The Isaiah 40, 45. Okay. In Isaiah 45, every knee bows to whom? Yotevafe. Yotevafe. In Philippians, every knee and where he quotes this, every knee bows to whom? Yeshua. Yeshua. This is, again, another clear proof. Because if Yeshua is not yod heh in the flesh, then he could not and should not be worshipped. And Paul in Romans 14 yeah. says God. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. We have one more question. This is from Asher. Now, Asher doesn't live in the U.S. He lives outside of the U.S., and so I get the distinct feeling that uh, a thriving community is a difficult one to find. He says, I'm concerned about the mention of Mikra Chodesh. That would be, for those who don't know, that's like a holy gathering or a holy assembly. And what to do about it. I don't know what kind of service to hold. And so I think, once again, I'll try to restate this. Um, what does it mean? So we're commanded, to, like, for instance, on Shabbat to have a Mikra Chodesh. What does that look like? What fulfills this commandment of, of having a Mikra Chodesh? I think the primary issue in the context in which you'll find Mikra Chodesh being uh, noted is that oftentimes during the week, we get together with others to work. In other words, not very often does somebody just work by themselves. Even in the ancient world, if you were agrarian, you had those that helped you out in the fields and so forth and so on. This get-together is to be not for work whatsoever. The work, the common work that you do during the week is to be set aside, and you're supposed to come together in order to set your hearts and minds upon the Lord together to encourage one another and undoubtedly to understand, read and understand the scriptures and how they apply. So the question is, what is a mikra? The mikra, does it, how many people do you need for it to be a mikra kodesh? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So it could be that you just, that you 
you plan. I'm, I'm thinking now of Asher. You know, say, okay, well, are there two or three other people, you know, in your vicinity that are uh, believe believers truly confessing Yeshua, and are willing to get together on Shabbat or on one of the festivals, and encourage each other and read the scriptures and pray together and so forth and worship, worship together uh, about the goodness of God. That would be a Mikra Kodesh in my opinion. Rob? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Until, I mean, we, we can look at the commandments in the Torah and, and think, wow, you know, my, my life's nothing like what it seems like it, this is asking us to do here. You know, that, that I don't have the the community well simply we don't have there's no tabernacle right there's no mishkan so we have to ask questions if and i live you know thousands of miles away from israel let's say we have to go back to the what is the what is the core of the commandment here and definitely we can look to the gospels and see what yeshua yeshua went to the synagogue that was his custom he didn't feel the need to be in jerusalem every shabbat right? He, wherever he was, uh, we know that the apostles, we have the example from Acts, where even in the diaspora, they met uh, on a Shabbat. Um, and, or sometimes they went out in, in one of the places, didn't they go out by a river yeah. <clears throat> out yeah. by the city? Sure. So they weren't even at, it wasn't even a synagogue. It was at this synagogue, maybe more as a, just a gathering, a small gathering of believers. Right. So, um, getting together and having a, a time and maybe some song and or read some Psalms, read, if you want to adopt a good ancient tradition of, of going through the Torah cycle, whether you do a, a three year or a one year, it's a good discipline. It's a good discipline. And we have ancient precedent all the way back uh, testified by the uh, apostles themselves. Right. So and I would add, I, I would add too that gathering together, is an essential for our own personal sanctification. You know, uh, Paul says in Galatians that we're to bear one another's burdens and in so doing to fulfill the Torah of the Messiah. Now, so we can't do that by ourselves. We need to be with others so that we can bear each other's burdens. And not only that, it's when we uh, are together that as, as we might say, iron sharpens iron, you know, when somebody is uh, burdened about something or brings something up or has a question, all of that as we're together in community is a way of growing more and more to be like Yeshua because we submit to one another and we care for one another, we pray for one another, and we help one another. And in that, everyone that is part that is doing that is helped, whether it's in growing in understanding what it means to love understanding what it means to serve, all of those things are part of becoming more and more like Yeshua. And you simply have a very difficult, if not impossible time doing that if you're just by yourself. So community is an essential part that God has ordained for us to grow up in our spiritual life to be more and more like Yeshua. So uh, obviously the worst part of uh, community is the, the people. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's the best and the worst, right? I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, why not look, you know, why not consider the glass half full rather than half empty? In other words, you know, let's, uh, put our attention even, you know, obviously there are going to be people 
who in their personalities kind of rub one another person the wrong way that you know it's kind of a different of personalities but that in itself is a exercise in learning how to love love doesn't mean that you just love the people that you like and that get along with you love means that you care for people who maybe have differences with you mm. or that you you know whatever so putting putting the diversity together into a community and committing one uh, and for community members to commit themselves to loving and caring for others even those that maybe wouldn't be chosen as their best friends or whatever is a growth in what it means to serve i personally think that the that one of the uh, biggest missteps of the torah movement today is the degrading of uh, of community in other words is the thought that community doesn't really matter yeah because as you said, if, you know, if the Torah commands that we are part of a gathering and if, and if community is part of, uh, the essential part of building a person up in sanctification, then I think that the community is an essential part of living Torah. Do you know, I wonder, because this, this is kind of come full circle back to the idea of the extra canonical literature that, that tries to answer the these nagging questions about the origin of evil and where do demons come from like enoch and and jubilees that groups that start to open uh fudge on the boundary of canon and start to you know imagine these other scriptures or quote books as scripture that those that that parallels a breaking away from community i guess and I, another way to ask the question because i i in my experience i don't know of any enduring messianic community that upholds something like enoch and jubilees as being scripture i see those as internet you know splinters that don't really have a track record of consistent long-term boots on the ground ministry, you know, and gathering. I could be wrong. I, I just know from well, my own experience. Yeah. I, I think I think that you're that in principle you have something there because as soon as we leave sola scriptura, in other words, if we don't believe that God has maintained his scriptures throughout the centuries, um, then we open ourselves up to all kinds of things and when we then actually if someone says well i think enoch or jubilees one of these is just as much scripture as anything else well then you have just um undone the foundation because there's plenty in enoch and plenty in jubilees and other of these apocryphal books that you can show are not historical that have mistakes that disagree with other parts of the cannot of the canon and so forth so um uh, i yeah i i think that taking the 66 books and saying these are the scriptures and god has has maintained them the very fact that the that these 66 books are maintained throughout the centuries where they were uh, doing everything they could some were doing everything they could to do away with the scriptures and to burn them and set and so forth and so on shows you that it was god's providence to to maintain this book and besides that when we read it when we study it when we compare uh, one book with another within the canon, we see the clear hand of God maintaining a central truth and uh, a, a coherence between these with so that they're not contradictory. And so 
yeah, I, I agree. As soon as you open up yourself to something that is not part of the 66 books, you open up yourself to something that's going to be detrimental. Yeah. And and it is through the it is through God's uh, preserving the scriptures, Baruch Hashem, that we have the scriptures preserved. That the laborers that He sends are rightly and appropriately, in His eyes, equipped to stand, to take a stand, right. to call good good, and to to lead people according to the truth. Um, these all, in my view, come hand in hand, and those are the people that will have the persevering love and faith to yes. hold the line um and you know that is what the lord builds with you know i think it's i think it's interesting to note just as an aside that every cult if we can use it that way has their has another book to add to the scriptures the mormons have the book of mormon the roman catholic and i don't say the roman catholic church is a cult per se but in some cases it may well be and is uh, they have the magisterium they say you can't understand the bible unless you accept the bible as interpreted by the popes and the bishops and so forth and so on and the canons that that, that they put down you take um you know jehovah's witnesses you take uh you know that they have their own book that they add to it and so um the the cry of the reformation sola scriptura the scriptures alone are the final word and the final test of everything that we believe is essential uh, if we're going to maintain the truth that God has given to us. Amen. Okay, I have on one last question. Can I fit one in, Caleb? Sure, go for it. It's a question I've been thinking about. Because, you know, over the years, since I've been part of Torah Resource, praise God, for, what, eight years now, uh, I've also, um, uh, because of the standard that we have on scholarship and staying engaged, with what's going on in the larger um, by and uh, seminary instruction and, and in larger college universities, we, uh, by God's grace, have attended every year the and I know Tim has and Caleb go way back before me, Tim before all of us, <laughs> uh, <laughs> attending the ETS and the SBL in the fall. And I wanted Tim, I wanted because you and I haven't spoken about this, but it just occurred to me, in all your experience of ETS and or SBL. Would you say that in terms of the, the Christian publishers and the, the preachers and the professors in the Christian side of things that you've um, spoken with and been aware of, so but publishers and professors both, do you, is it, a, if you were to rate how much, what percent are more of a reformed uh, over, over uh, let's say an Arminian, um, mm -hmm. where would you, would you, do you have a kind of a, a gut guess of like is it 50 50 is it 60 40 is it heavier on the reformed I, and, and I, another way to ask the question is the um which faith commitments are do you see um have more historically informed the cutting edge biblical scholarship world right well in the evangelical theological society in terms of just basic uh theology i would say it's clearly based upon a, ref a reformed or reformation view of things because in order to be a member of the evangelical theological society you have to sign yearly you have to sign an agreement saying that you believe that the scriptures are with in in inerrant inspired and without error in the originals 
and you have to then also agree what is defined by scripture which is the 66 books so the very membership basis would indicate that ETS Evangelical Theological Society has that that uh, teaching of the Reformation the coming back to the truth that the Reformation brought us back to as a core issue now how many who actually attend are uh, ref, uh, hold to a reformed view of of, of soteriology of salvation um, so forth and so on I I would say that it it probably is if anything it's 50 50 you know I think there's as many who would be from the Methodist uh, the Welsh, Wesleyan and yeah Wesleyan and so forth right as there are and then the charismatic uh, movement is spawn is uh, um, there are those from the messianic movement that are part of the uh, society as well including some of the speakers and so forth and so on I think it's a mixed bag but I think ultimately it comes down to that basis of of the scriptures and that clearly is a mark of the uh, the Reformation theology that was retained uh, after the the centuries of Roman Catholicism was basically the church, the, the largest church around, and then the Reformation brought us back to these core doctrines of the scriptures themselves. So I would say, finally, that the Evangelical Theological Society has its roots in that, in that understanding of the Reformation, but um, as things have gone along, there are more and more Wesleyan and other kinds of approaches in terms of uh, salvation, soteriology, and so forth. So <clears throat> Matt asked a question that we can just very quickly. Matt asked if the, uh, if well, let's see if I can actually find this question real quick. He said, do you believe that Paul's letters, mainstream interpretation of them have caused the falling away from the Torah as well uh, have the led the Jewish people away from Yeshua? No, the Jewish people were led away from Yeshua long before the, the Apostolic Scriptures were... <laughs> were written by a hardening of their heart, right? But ultimately, uh, yeah, it's prophesied. It's prophesied that the that the Jews would uh, reject the Messiah, and it's prophesied that the Gentiles would come back to Torah. They can't come back to Torah if they haven't fallen away from Torah. Right. In other words, there's always a remnant in every generation of the Jewish people who are true believers. But nationally, you're right that 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 point yeah and it says i will give them eyes and they will not see i will give them ears and they will not hear unless right. they hear and repent and return right. so god has a you know and paul makes it clear that his understanding is that that this was done in order to bring in the promise made to abraham that is to bring in the elect from the nations and so um he he, he talks very clearly about that Okay. Yeah. Well, and the and the translations we have. I mean, we're uh, in in English language. We have like fifty plus English translations. Um, of, now I know in other languages there might only be one translation, and and so uh, it can vary from language to language. But the very fact that there are today Jews who are pro Torah and pro Yeshua and pro apostolic writings, you know. Uh, or that there are Gentiles that are pro-Torah and pro-canon of Scripture, shows that the Ruach is moving and people are coming back and recognizing that the translations... You know, the one beautiful thing from the Reformation is 
is their understanding of the fallibility of translation, right. and but not letting that be a deterrent from the mission and the the effort to retranslate the scriptures and to uh, uphold a higher bar of scholarship with the original language that not that they said now we've arrived it wasn't like you know luther finished maybe translating the bible from the original language that okay now we've arrived no but it's it's moved he's moved the the bar or the marker forward and that's part of that uh, maybe the semper reformanda kind of idea is that we're we're always sharpening our knowledge and our, of okay. the languages both the scripture languages and the world of the language and, and right. as right. well as the target languages in our present situation right um, because it's a moving target right the english language is a moving target and and uh, so there's no shortage of of new translations that we will see if should the lord tarry you know in the future yeah and i i think just quickly to mention the fact that one of the issues was what has been called supersessionism or replacement theology. When you have replacement theology saying that the church replaces Israel and God no longer has any future for Israel, um, then Paul, un, under that theology, the Pauline uh, epistles are entirely misinterpreted and mistaught because he would ne have never said that. <laughs> In fact, Paul teaches very clearly Roman, Romans 11, is it? Or Romans 11, yeah. that without Israel, you don't have anything. Without the covenant that God made with Israel, you don't have anything. Right. right. So, um, yeah. As God Actually, cast away the people which he foreknew. Right. Meganoita. Yeah. May it yeah. never be. May it right. never be. So the, the supersessionism or the replacement theology is what gave rise to trying to find a way to interpret Paul to fit that errant theology and they found it all right and it does does come in as as uh, rob has said it comes into some of the english translations unfortunately so uh it's important to read a bible that is word equivalent as best you can which and i would say nasb esv and uh most of it's well i don't know most but a good deal of the time the niv and there are others i'm sure um the ceb um the so-called no, CSB. It used to be called the Holman Christian Standard mm -hmm. Bible, right? So yeah. it's CSB. Tends to be towards a word equivalent rather than a dynamic equivalent. The problem with dynamic equivalent is what you're actually reading is how the translators gave meaning, took the meaning of the text. And so you're reading kind of a translator's commentary <laughs> rather than uh, close to the text itself. So, And, of course, the best way would be to be to be around somebody who has some facility with the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek so that you can check things out. But even with the Internet now, you'll be you'll be able to do that more than maybe they would have been able to do 50 years ago. OK, so hey, maybe there's a, a plug for Messiah Matters More. Uh, if you haven't, uh, you can um, subscribe to that and have access to a number of resources. But one of which is Tim's. I think it was more than one session last summer in Ontario uh -huh. where he unpacks this very point of the nature of different translations and uh what is it what does it mean by a, a you know a yeah we're still working parent. on that page so i'm not sure if that's up there yet but we're going to try oh, to get oops. that up there that was a premature plug that's okay that's okay we're working on that page we are going to try to have something up probably by the end of today at the very latest tomorrow with all three of us we'll do another video i'm not exactly sure what we're going to talk about um 
anyway, all right. I hope that this conversation has been a good one for you. Please uh, remember to uh, be a part of the conversation. Give us a call at 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also, uh, you can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com. It's chegatorresource.com. A big thanks to my father for coming onto the show today and being a part of the conversation. We do appreciate it. And we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. Mm-hmm.